Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery, Season 4, Episode 4, All Is Possible. Did you like this episode, Vicki? Quite honestly, the first time I watched it, I thought it was okay. But then the more I thought about it, I didn't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I liked parts of it. Parts of it I actually really enjoyed very much. And parts of it I was like, "Hmm, yeah, okay. Do you want to talk first about what you didn't like about it? Or do you want to weave that in as we talk about the episode? Well, I'll weave some of it in, but just off the top. It's another episode. Book is depressed. Stamets is overworking trying to solve the anomaly problem, Tilly's confused, still. And Burnham has the solution for everything. Right, but as with Detmer's PTSD, I'm glad they're, again, being responsible and showing us that these things don't just go away in one episode, but enough already. Yes. Enough. Yes. With Detmer's PTSD, we saw little clips of it. We didn't see entire scenes. And it was expressed with facial expressions and body language. Exactly. Exactly. And reactions, yeah. Uh, enough. Well, honestly, that didn't bother me so much. I was okay with that. I agree. I think they went on a little long, but I was okay with that. Actually, myself was a little more frustrated with the Galileo 6 because I thought that went on too long and didn't do what the Galileo 7 did. So it missed the mark there, I think, in what it could have been. But let's let's talk about this episode. This is an episode, as we've just alluded to, that's got three different storylines. We've got a storyline where Burnham and Saru are asked to join President Rillick on Navarre to ostensibly observe the final signing of the treaty between Navarre and the Federation, where Navarre, the planet formerly known as Vulcan, is going to rejoin the Federation and become a member again, which is a big deal because Vulcan was one of the original members of the Federation with Earth. So there's a lot of symbolism here. The next storyline is Tilly's confused storyline where Dr. Culber suggests that she help train some brand new Starfleet cadets and take Adira with her for this training opportunity to help mold these young minds and and get them ready for a career in Starfleet. And then the third storyline is this storyline of Culber trying to help Book with his incredibly overwhelming, terrible grief at the loss of his entire planet. So let's start with the Tilly storyline, because as you said, we're starting to see these scenes where the crew are sitting in Culver's therapy room talking. What does it remind me of? What, what, it makes me think that there was some sitcom 
like a 90s sitcom or 90s show where people were constantly in therapy talking. The only therapy show I could think of, but that was like the 70s, the Newhart show. Yeah, but did he actually show that? Did they show the therapy? Oh, absolutely. They had group therapy. It was hilarious. Yeah. A 90s show. I could be getting the the decade wrong. And I do remember the Newhart show. That was a cute show. Yeah. Not the hotel one, the first one. Right. Actually, the hotel one was fun too. Yeah. But he was a therapist um, in the first one, so they had that group therapy group. They were just characters. Yeah. The hotel one was a must-watch in our house because the exterior shots mm-hmm. in the opening credits were filmed right down the street from where my father grew up. Oh, really? In Vermont. Yes. Yeah, so he knew that hotel. He took my mother there when they were courting. You know, so we had to watch that because it was, you know, this place where he knew and he grew up. And it was a cute show. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> My name is Daryl. This is my yeah. other brother, Daryl. No, his name was something else. Larry and the other two Larry, were Larry, this is my brother, Daryl. This yeah. is my other brother, Daryl, right? Yeah. Okay, that's right. Anyway, okay, we digress. So we have these several of these scenes where we get to see the crew in Culver's therapy room. So Tilly is talking about how she's done all these things that he's recommended and she still feels lost. And so he recommends that she go do this assistance with the Federation, Dr. Kovich, this Dr. Kovich, who was the one who was working with um, Giorgio and telling her about the destruction of the Empire and the splitting of the parallel universes and all that. He has made a request for Discovery people to come and assist with these brand new Federation cadets because there hasn't been a Starfleet Academy since the burn. Right. And so the folks on Discovery are the only ones who actually went to Starfleet Academy that exist in this new future time frame. Right. So Tilly and Adira go on this mission together. And as I alluded to before, this is the Galileo 7 storyline all over again. They go onto a shuttle. We're going to go just do a, a Class M survey. And instead, they got hit by a gamma ray burst. Right. And... They crash onto a Class L planet, which they can survive on, but not for very long. And then they're attacked by a creature, which is interested in their electromagnetic signature. Right. And meanwhile, they're all fighting together. Now, the reason I reference Galileo 7 is, of course, you remember the Galileo 7 from the original series. Yeah. I mean, you picked that up, too, right? That this was the same story. Actually, I didn't. No. I didn't, but as soon as you said it, yeah. Like I say, I don't know the names of any episodes, but that is one of the few ones I do know the name of. So I did. Galileo 7 was a brilliant episode. It's focusing on how Spock, as a Vulcan who does not access his emotions readily, was at odds with this crashed shuttle crew because they were scared and they needed their leader to provide them with comfort as well as leadership, and he didn't get that. And so it's a brilliant episode of how emotions make people behave and how his focus on logic was constantly putting him at odds with his crew, who should have been working together to solve their problem but instead there was a lot of sniping and unhappiness because they weren't getting the emotional support that they had come to expect from their leadership and then of course at the very end of that episode they are saved because spock makes an illogical decision which suggests that he learned something from his time on the planet with them they finally get their shuttle back into orbit around this planet but there's no evidence that you know the Enterprise is going to be able to find them because there's so many planets. They're not entirely sure where they are. So he actually ignites their warp trail or something. 
mm-hmm. essentially destroys their propulsion to make a big flare, which is a risk. It's a chance because they don't know that the Enterprise is going to actually see them and their orbit's going to decay and they're just going to crash back onto the planet anyway. The biggest drawback of that episode was the absolute worst... <laughs> dangerous species ever seen on Star Trek, which is saying something. Do you, do you remember these guys? I don't. I remember all the conflict. I don't remember <laughs> okay, the They're alien. just these giant, like, 8 foot, 9 foot, 10 foot hominid, humanoid type creatures that were in <laughs> polyester fur. <laughs> I'll have to watch that again. I remember polyester fur. It's really bad. I remember the episode very well. I just don't remember the alien at all. Which is good because honestly, that's not the point of that episode. The point of that episode (laughs) is this interpersonal interactions with the crew and Spock and learning how to figure out how to function with each other. And that is really an important part. And it's a shame that they didn't have a whole lot of money for (laughs) the dangerous species that lived on the planet. But that's okay because the episode wasn't really about that. Yeah, but most of the aliens that we see in the the original series are pretty cheesy. Yes. Yeah. This is like uber cheesy. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'll have to look at it again. I'm sure I'll remember it as soon as I see it. And I think that's where the problem here with this episode was, is that in this particular subset of this episode where you have the Galileo 6, you know, all these uh, cadets on this shuttle, there wasn't any one character that needed to learn a particular lesson. That was a difficult lesson to learn and needed to be moved through. Yeah, you had Adira who was like, yeah, but I'm joined. Uh, yet I'm scared of everything, but I'm joined. And right. I have important experience. You know, I have important memories, but no experience. Right. But that was kind of a lukewarm kind of character development piece. And then you had all these cadets who were uncomfortable interacting with other species. Right. Why were you there? Yeah. That's the, you know, it's the, well, I've never met another species before and I hate these other species. Um, hello, that's what Starfleet and the Federation is about. Did you not read the promotional materials before you signed up? Exactly. Exactly. And I thought it was very considerate of the jellyfish from hell to stop following <laughs> and trying to attack them while they all stood around and had a heart to heart about the Orion (laughs) and gave them all a chance to bond. I thought that was very considerate. Very convenient. Exactly. Oh, and I also thought, you know, that the, um, I don't even remember all these characters' names because they they were caricatures in a lot of ways rather than actual caricatures. We got just enough so that we kind of were able to identify them and then that was it. Yes. So when the one character who was mad at the Orion found out that the Orion's father was a freedom fighter for enslaved people and then he was like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Moving on now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's that kind of thing where I would have loved it and and I feel like we've had this conversation before. I would have loved it if that angry character was quiet you know absorbing that information and then after they moved on like the next scene he would have said i'm sorry you know it would have given up opportunity for him to process and for him to kind of reframe his perspective on the orions and then say i'm sorry for my rudeness you know something along those lines but the immediate oh okay i'm sorry (laughs) right and the girl did the same thing the girl immediately said she was sorry yes so there wasn't time for processing it was just an after-school special exactly that's good yes yeah (laughs) (laughs) and I think that's where it really missed an opportunity because they could have had a real opportunity to focus on I guess what I would have liked to have seen is to have a similar issue facing them all as far as their growth and development that they all had to figure out from their different perspectives and resolved so with Tilly 
it was like she was confused. I guess that was her issue. And we actually did find out what her issue was, which I really appreciated at the end. That was one of the moments I really liked. But all of these people, you know, this cadet's never seen humans before. And that cadet's hate Orions. And, you know, Adira, they don't believe they need to be there. And Tilly's there because she's trying to find herself. And there was all these different things that I would have loved it if they'd all been there for variations on the same theme. And then had figured it out from coming at it from different angles, unique to each one. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Anyway, I think that that was a missed opportunity. So that's effectively that particular storyline. So I think today we're just going to move along by storylines. It's probably easier that way. You know, they crashed. They were yelling at each other. They don't want to interact with each other. They have no idea how to function as a team until he gets to function with the team by pulling out a rope. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're rescued and all swelled again as well. Yeah. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. I actually really liked the Navarre storyline. Did you? I liked the storyline. I didn't like, well, first place, when the president wants Burnham and Saru to attend the negotiations and just stand there and look official, you knew she was setting her up for something. Because Burnham is not the person that's going to stand there and be quiet. She knows that. So I was like, what is going on? She's trying to set her up or something. That was my first thought. But in the end, Vance, the president, and the president of Navarre all conspired to do this and to make her a pawn. Well, not a pawn, but they conspired to use her, which is what she has been complaining about since we first met the president. And, you know, she doesn't really take it as badly as I would have thought she would have. But why couldn't they just tell her what they wanted her to do? I agree. And I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Not a pawn, a bishop, because she is on a chessboard. That's how President Rillick thinks. So I think the chess analogy is appropriate. She's not sacrificable the way a pawn is. President Rillick looked at her as a tool she could use in a particular way. I agree with you. But then at the end, Burnham says the same thing to her. I need you to be transparent. I can't help you if you don't tell me what's going on. And she kind of rebuked her about that, which I thought was good. I thought, okay, these people are now developing a mutual respect. Rulik has gone her entire life doing politics in a particular way, utilizing all of the chess pieces, the pieces on her chessboard Mm -hmm. in a particular way. And Burnham is saying, no, you don't just play me. You have to talk to me. Right. And I think that was a good, that was a really good scene. Yeah, it was. And she's right because you're taking, number one, you're taking a chance. You know, they could have let her know what they were trying to do and maybe give her time to come up with something. I mean, she did come up with something, but. Well, the one thing that, the one thing that she said, President Rillick said, that kind of tried to explain it is that she couldn't out her source, which was President Tarina of Navarre. Right, but she so did. So that's why she had to keep it all quiet. Of course, but, you know, she did out her source at the end. Right. What's the difference? What's the difference? She's not going to out her source. Burnham is not going to go tell everybody that it was uh, the president of Navarre who's her source. So I don't understand this at all. I agree. I think that may be maybe another element 
of the 900 years in the past, the way the Starfleet and the Federation used to function that Burnham is bringing to the table, they have lost. And so maybe that was really the point of all that is uh, this is another opportunity because if you look at it from that perspective, this episode was full of here's what you can learn from us from what we did in the past. This episode is full of that. Right. And that was kind of what the guy with the glasses said. Yes. The guy with the glasses, Kovich, with his speech to her at the end, yeah. I loved it. See, that's what I'm saying. There's just all these different pieces of this episode that I really loved. And some of them was like, oh, okay. So let's go back to the Navarre uh, storyline. And what we have here is that they're almost ready. And this is another thing that rang false to me. They're almost ready to sign the document. Yay, yay, yay. Here, everybody, we're pouring the champagne. We're going to just take a toast as soon as the signature is on the page. And, oh, no, no, you know what? We can't because we're going to add a new clause. And that, to me, as far as the way negotiations go, seemed so unreal, so not realistic. You don't drop a clause in at the end, unless you want it to blow up. If your goal is to actually have it blow up, then yeah, go ahead and do that. But that's not what they were trying to do, I don't think. I think they were just trying to make sure that they had this clause or this clause came up late or something. But it was so, it felt very unrealistic. You just don't do that at the signing ceremony. It was very weird. So the Vulcans, the Navarians, announced that they wanted an exit clause in their agreement with the Federation. So that if things go bad, they could leave. Right. Because it went bad before. And we started to get a little bit of an understanding of what went bad before. Finally, yeah. I, I was still a little confused. But yeah, they didn't go into detail. I would still want to hear exactly yeah, what they what did. What was happening before the burn that were causing people to be souring on the Federation. Right. Uh, so we got a little bit of that. We still got, we got another hint of that of what that was going on. But if President Relic is any indication what was going on was a lot of politics and deal making and compromises and not adherence to more transparent to use burnham's word ethical standards right she also said something about they weren't open to the needs of the other federation members yeah so I don't, that's all we got yeah so, i mean i'm just i'm just making guesses here doing hypotheses based on what we think is going on so in the middle of this signing ceremony, President Tarina of Navarre has delivered to Saru a traditional tea. Right. And Burnham says, you have a fan. And so then when this whole thing blows up about, you know, the exit clause, etc., he goes to see her just to kind of get a better feeling of what's going on. And he actually asks for help with meditation, which I thought was kind of cute. I like the interplay between these two characters yes. a lot. I enjoyed that. So much so that at the end, after they sort things out, President Tarina asked him to join her for tea again. So maybe there's a relationship being formed. Yeah, we kind of saw that building yeah. way back in, was it season three, right? Really? Yeah. When, Tell me more. I don't remember that. In the episode where Burnham's mother comes to defend her, they had to go up against... Right. She had to. She was making her argument yes. to the Navarre Science Academy yes. in order to get that data on the burn. And her, yeah, her mom was her defender right. or whatever. Yeah. There was definitely something between Saru and the president yeah. at that point. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. Look at that with new eyes. Cool. All right. So what they discover is, is that there's this entrenched elements on both sides, on the Federation side and the Navarre side, that the Federation is like, we can't give you an exit clause because then we'd have to do that for everybody. It would undermine this whole purpose of this. And Navarre side is like, you know what? You didn't do right by us the first time. We just don't want to put ourselves in that situation again. So Burnham brings a compromise to the table where there be a independent committee that will evaluate grievances, I guess. And 
she volunteered to be on that committee because she is Starfleet, which means that she supports the Federation, but she is also a citizen of Navarre and a graduate of the Science Academy, and so she is also supportive of Navarre, and then they were all like, this is acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the reason that they had to bring her in is because she said something to the, to the point of, you need a third party to suggest the compromise because you've got these other entrenched positions that won't do it, which is depressing. Yeah, it's politics. That's the way it works. Right, exactly. That's the way politics works now. I would hope <laughs> a thousand years in the future that people would be a little bit more, I don't know, insightful and maybe not have to go to these kinds of emotional extremes. Emotional, which is exactly what it is, and engage in this kind of political maneuvering, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, but it all turns out well in the end and everybody's happy and Burnham has her conversation with the president saying, don't do that again. So hopefully she won't. And the president did seem to respect her position. There seemed to be a genuine respect developing between them. Yes, I agree. I'm still on the fence about the president, but okay. I do agree. So the third storyline is that storyline we discussed between Book and Culver. And it's a very short storyline. There's not much to it. I'm sorry. It seemed like it went on forever. <laughs> it's funny because the Galileo 6 thing seemed like it went on forever to me. <laughs> that definitely did too. Yeah. <laughs> So um, in short, Book is not able to grieve the way he is accustomed to grieving because the grieving process in his culture involves connection with the natural world on his planet, which doesn't exist anymore. Right. And it was actually quite painful to, to see him realize that all of these means that he had been raised with in order to provide him comfort and provide him closure and understanding had blown up along with everybody else. It was very sad. And so there wasn't really a resolution, except that once he recognized that, he realized he was going to have to come up with some new ways of doing this. Right. Which was good. It was. But the whole therapy thing with him just seemed like a very <laughs> long exercise to get to the fact that Colbert is having some sort of issue as well. Yes, thank you. I did not need to see that. It felt inappropriate. You know, if Colbert is guiding his therapy, then it's not about Colbert. And so all of a sudden, then, yes, at the end of this, book is like, something that's bothering you too do you want to talk about it not yet right and i just <sighs> felt like they used the whole book thing to get to that yeah this it was, was it was very cringe this wasn't about book this was about getting to the fact so we know that colbert's having an issue that's what i felt yeah and i'm not a fan of this whole episode <laughs> if you couldn't tell <laughs> well but let's talk a little bit about the moment with that kovitz guy uh, why am i completely Kovitz? On kovitz? His name? kovitz i should kovitz i don't know i, I can't know I, I don't know why i yeah. can't remember his name and he says something after the Galileo 6 is all rescued successfully and they're all alive, except for the, uh, I should mention that um, the pilot died in the crash, which was very sad. And that also happened in the Galileo 7. They lost somebody. And right. then there was a big fight over, you know, should we bury him and have a ceremony? And Spock's like, not logical when you're trying to fix your shuttle and not get attacked by evil creatures. Right. And the um, funny thing is, I almost thought... We were going to see the dead guy walk by or something because yeah, I like really was, like was all planned. Yes, I really was yeah. never sure if this was planned. I kind of was expecting it to all be a hollow simulation and it wasn't, unfortunately. No. And they, they did say that it was very sad that this red shirt died. Right. Um, but one of the things that he did say, which I thought was really fascinating, was he said when Discovery arrived, people didn't trust them because not only had they come from the past 
and from before the burn and you know were completely different what did he say he said something about they had an air about them that anything was possible anything was possible and somehow that was threatening to this future starfleet this future federation probably i thought that was fascinating yeah, probably because if you're in the situation they were in, everybody should have hope. I could see the other side of the argument is that you don't want to give people too much hope because you're in this horrible situation with the burn yeah. and everything. So I could see that. And he said that the idea that anything was possible stung at first. So it was like a reminder of what they had lost. Exactly, yeah. And it was a great, great scene, a great moment because it felt so real and so accurate. I really liked it. And then we have a scene that I really enjoyed between Tilly and Burnham, recalling back to when they became roommates in the first season after Burnham was pulled out of Federation prison. Right. And how Tilly was nervous about bunking with a famous mutineer. And then Tilly essentially says she joined Starfleet to prove her mom wrong. Yeah. Her mom was overbearing and was difficult to live with and had her life planned out. And she joined Starfleet to prove her wrong. And then when she got her lieutenant's bars, pips, whatever, she was not happy about it because there was nothing left to prove her mom is long gone. Right. So Tilly left to become a teacher at Starfleet Academy. What do you think about that? I don't know because I don't watch ahead. I don't watch the next episode until we finish recording this one. So I don't know. Does this mean she's gone for a while? Because halfway through, I did think they were going to kill her off. (laughs) I did. Because of all the conversations she's been having about not being sure, about being confused. And I think last week I said I was thinking that maybe she was even confused about not wanting to be Starfleet anymore. So, yeah, halfway through, I did think they were going to kill her off. So I'm not sure. I don't know what this means. Does this mean she'll be back? Is she gone? Yeah, I don't know either. So I guess we're going to find out in a few episodes. But they do this with characters. They have characters that come and go. Sure. So, you know, Giorgio and other characters. Right. So Culber, he came and went. Right. So I don't know. And there was a moment where Burnham asked her, you want to go back? And I thought she was talking about going back in time. I did too. It's exactly what I thought she was talking about. And I guess it was that she wanted to go back to an ensign. Right. But I kind of wondered for a moment if they were going to figure out how to send her back. Yes, because that's exactly what I thought when she said you want to go back. So that was interesting. So we're going to see what happens there. And so there was actually a confusing scene that I actually did some research about, and I didn't pick this up at all. But Tilly had said to Adira, who was expressing, you know, so much insecurity Mm -hmm. about how Adira made her realize that anything was possible. And so when she left, Adira found a snow globe in their quarters that when Tilly left, Adira found a snow globe in their quarters that had a Starfleet ship suspended in it and the words all is possible on the base. Apparently that was Tilly's snow globe. That's what I gathered. Did you know that? I thought Tilly left it for her. I didn't. I thought Tilly gave it to her, like had it manufactured for her, you know, replicated or whatever. I didn't get that it was Tilly's snow globe. And apparently that's the Enterprise NX-01 in the snow globe. Oh, okay. No, I didn't know that. Which I did not realize either. So Tilly left Discovery uh, at the end of this episode. There was one other thing that was also sort of a thread that was tied up here, and that was that Burnham and Tarina the president of Navarre, had a conversation about the Quowat Malat nun who killed the Starfleet officers and what the outcome was going to be for her because Burnham was really upset that she might escape justice. Right. So her mom took this Quowat Malat, uh, Javini, I think her name is, 
Yeah. Into a deep cleansing meditative retreat. And that when she cleansed herself of her whatever, she was going to make amends to the family of the Starfleet officer. What did you think about that? I guess it's, I guess it's justice, I guess. (laughs) I mean, it's better than we expected, I guess. Yeah. And Burnham seemed satisfied. Yeah. So there we go. So we were left with this dun-dun-dun moment at the end of last episode, which then just sort of fizzled out. Oh, she's going to meditate and then make amends. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm not complaining about. If that's what works for Qualt Malat, great. It was just, you know, the writers made us seem like it was like a big deal. And then, okay, it's done. Right. But the issue I have with that is that, you know, okay, so what happens if another member of the Federation, an Orion, does something? Right. Do we give them back to the Orions? Does everybody just get to go back to their home planet and they can decide what happens? And maybe that's part of the agreement to become a Federation member. Because Navarre was not a member of the Federation True. when they took custody of Jabini, right? Yeah, but she still killed the Federation officer. So maybe now that was part of the agreement. And now if she ever does it again, then she faces Federation justice. I don't know. But what is Federation justice? We don't know yet. Yeah. Is it a penal quality like Tom Paris was in? We have no he idea. Was, you know, digging ditches and repairing things. Yeah. You know, I don't know. So anything else from this episode that I missed or that caught your eye and you wanted to make sure you talked about? No, I think I'm good. Okay. I am too. The next episode we're going to be talking about is the episode five and it's entitled The Examples, which sounds kind of creepy. I don't know if it sounds creepy to me. I don't know what to think. I can't even come up with something. Well, we'll find out. So we encourage and invite our listeners to join us next time when we discuss Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 5, The Examples. Okay, see you next week. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter, at Ross Bugden. Licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.